We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. The show today presented by MyBookie. You asked for it and they listened. MyBookie designed a unique deposit bonus that lets you cash in and cash out quickly. This is a unique deposit bonus for sports bettors who want to focus on what to bet and not a payout sweat. Make your first deposit today with my promo code, KevinDC. Wager your deposit amount once, and you're eligible right away to cash out. If you want a sports book that gives you the most for your money, bet on the big game with my bookie. Pre-game, live line, Super Bowl prop bets, they've got everything. You can bet everything from the opening coin toss, the length of the national anthem, the length, Tommy, of the national anthem with with a silent G, um, to the color of the Gatorade dumped on the winning coach. I can't tell you exactly who's going to win the Super Bowl, but I can tell you where I will be placing bets. My bookie, bet anything, anytime, anywhere. My bookie at mybookie.ag. Again, use my promo code KevinDC. Tommy's with me, and we just spent 10 minutes before we started to to record the podcast complaining about various ailments you you hurt your shoulder carrying your beach chair down to kind yeah. of relax for the day what happened yeah i mean it's just unbelievable i mean the light look this this, this segment is also sponsored by aarp <laughs> well, uh, i'm not well, i'm not gonna, i'm not well, there gonna, yet but go ahead okay uh, you know, I just got over a week of bursitis in my left knee, mm-hmm. where I was pretty much laid up, but that cleared up. You know, they put me on the miracle drug steroids, and that cleared up, and I was 100% again. So I went swimming yesterday in the pool, uh, and then after that, I took my beach chair down to the beach, and somehow, put it, strapping my beach chair over my shoulder... I strained my right shoulder somehow, and I woke up this morning and it hurt more. (laughs) You know, and it's not a big thing. It's happened before, and it will clear up probably in a couple of days, but it's just a reminder of uh, how how fragile uh, life is at at this stage. Uh, You know, like somebody, my, my wife wanted to go bike riding with me, and I said, people fall. When they're riding bikes, and if you fall at that now, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, God only knows what you're going to break. So, I mean, I've, I limit myself to pretty much walking at this point. Well, and even that was dangerous because I got bursitis from that. Well, th- that's why I wanted you to tell the story, because on Sunday morning, I got up, and it was early, 
Um, and I've been doing this usually one of the two weekend days, either Saturday or Sunday morning. I'll get up at my normal time. Uh, I won't actually leave the house at my normal time um, because I don't think that's the, the healthy thing to do, to, 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 to leave the house at 4.45 a.m. when it's pitch dark on a weekend when I should be attempting to sleep in. But I just can't sleep in, whatever. Not, not what I want to talk about. I have for, I don't know, four or five weeks in a row gotten up and by about 5.30 left the house with the dog and gone on a very long walk, basically like an eight to 10 mile walk. And that's a long walk. That's a good walk. I mean, it, it ends up being yeah. it ends up being roughly like eighteen thousand steps on my Fitbit, something like yeah. that. When I get when I yeah. get back, um, but um, on on Sunday morning, this past Sunday morning, uh, my dog uh, Laney, my beautiful um, English bulldog, who, as I've mentioned before, is my favorite thing in my life right now. Um, she kind of was limping a little bit when we got back from the walk a week ago and you know, it it was too long of a walk. Bulldogs actually, for whatever, especially in heat, they shouldn't be out a long period of time, um, in heat. And so I decided to just go on this walk by myself and you know where I kind of live now, just into DC. And I walked basically around Georgetown for, I don't know, two hours, and in Georgetown on a Sunday morning that early is so peaceful. It's so peaceful. And I went into uh, Holy Trinity, which I think is one of the most, one of the prettiest churches in town, prettiest Catholic churches in town, um, sat for a little bit. But other than that, it was just walking. But the reason I tell this story is that when I woke up yesterday morning, I was so sore I could barely walk. I could barely get out of bed. Really? From a long wow. walk. That's ridiculous. But but I I, I think it's really in part be, because I'm not I used to be so much more active. And you know what really destroyed that for me was the pandemic. When everybody decided, you know, to start eating and drinking a lot. Others went the other way. Um, I ended up putting on weight during the, during the pandemic year. And what really hurt for me is the basketball that I would still play two days a week, which I still think is the best cardio workout you can get, an overall workout, even at, at you know, as you get up in age. Uh, it went away, and I have not got, gone back to it because a lot of the guys that were a little bit older sort of decided, you know, after you know a year and a half of not playing, it was going to be kind of too hard to get back into it. So, I mean, I do Peloton maybe one to two times a week. There was a period where I was doing it like three to four times a week, and that is a good workout. And then in the summer – you know, I was playing a lot of pickleball, but I injured myself. What are we doing here? Why are we doing these ailments? I just wanted to, to tell you that because of the, the conversation we were having, I went on a long walk and then couldn't literally, I could barely walk the, the following day. That's sad. That's not a well, good state know, of affairs. But you, but you don't have to walk. Look, actually, I read a, a New York Times article that I've kept, and there's all kinds of opinions on stuff. But I've read this before. Once you get over 8,000 steps in terms of health benefits, you're not really helping yourself that much, unless you go extreme. 
You know, you know, you you don't have to walk eight to ten miles a day to get the health benefit. Well, I wouldn't have the time to walk eight to ten miles a day it, it, just on the weekend. Oh, I know what you're right. I, right, you're you're essentially saying the health benefits. Basically, if you can get to seventy five hundred steps a day, you're good. Yes. And if you if if, if, yes. if you double that, there's the incremental benefit isn't really that much. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and I try. I generally uh, walk. Uh, at, in Frederick, a little over three miles, probably closer to four when I'm down here, when I'm healthy a day. Yeah. Uh, and I do band exercises, and that's it. <laughs> I mean, I, I have, you know, I do have a gym in my house, and I've got a treadmill, I've got a Peloton, and I've got weights. Um, but, you know, I, I, the, the, the Peloton is by far and away the Peloton bike I have is the most legitimate real workout I get now. Because I don't play basketball anymore. I'd like to t- figure out how to start doing it again. But I injured my back playing pickleball for, you know, last summer. And I still, it's still not right. Um, but anyway, uh, whatever. Let's move on. Because everybody... <laughs> really? Is there anyone left? <laughs> is there anybody anyone out, left out there? Is anybody out there? Um, hello, hello. Well, let's see Bueller? if we. I'll tell you what. Let's see if we can really alienate uh, and 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 push away the three or four people that are remaining by talking about <laughs> the wizards. <laughs> because because I I am telling you, Tom. I'm uh, all right. Let me let me dial it back. They've won six games in a row. They haven't won six games in a row in eight years. Eight years it's been since they've won six games in a row. They hadn't beaten San Antonio in San Antonio since 1999, 22 years. As you know, I am still one of the people that pays attention to this team and watches them. I don't, uh, you know, I'd be totally embellishing if I if I said I sit there and I, I tune into every game start to finish every night. Uh, I, I would do that if they were really good, like they were, or, or if they were a good team, like they were a few years ago. Um, their six-game winning streak has included some wins over some horrible teams, including the team they pl- played last night in the Spurs and the Rockets and the, the, the Pelicans didn't have anybody. But I, I did mention to you the other day before you cut me off and said enough is that they actually have some really good players. And when they are fully healthy, they're not terrible. Um, Porzingis was back last night. And we ripped them for their draft choices when they traded Hachimura. But Denny Avdia is actually a pretty good player. He had a really good game last night. The more and more you watch Avdia, like from the jump, you I, I think the first thing I said about him his rookie year is I'm like, this guy definitely is a guy that belongs. He acts like he belongs. Um, I just don't know if he's going to develop into anything more than sort of a contributing player because he just doesn't have a lot of the offense that you need. And now he's developed that. He had 25 last night. Um, he's really hard to guard uh, from getting to the rim. He's high IQ, really high IQ player. Defends Porzingis, Beal, Kuzma. They've got a lot of contributing players that are good. I actually think that the Wizards are going to be in the postseason this year. And I don't know if that's the best thing for them from a franchise standpoint. Now, they could completely go the other way when the schedule gets tougher and they lose players. 
um, which they pr- inevitably will do because they always do from from injuries. But if they stay healthy, they're going to end up being a 500 or better team, and they're going to end up in a best-of-seven series in the Eastern Conference playoffs. That's the best I can do. They're also fun to watch because they're really good offensively. Now, um, I'll end the conversation there. Do you have any questions that you'd like to ask me about the Wizards or, or have any comments? No, I would, ju- I would just urge everyone. This is my new, you know, my additional Surgeon General's warning. Mm-hmm. Not as strong as the, the one for the football team, but still worthy of, of consideration. Please do not be satisfied out there with 45 wins. Ooh. Well, I didn't. Not I didn't say forty-five. Satisfied. Well, that would pretty much be close to a winning record. Well, yeah, but f- I said five, a little five hundred, or maybe a little bit better. Forty-one and forty-one would be five hundred. Forty-five wins from right. twenty-four and twenty-six would be quite the finish to the season. And if they, it's, and it's if they not, got, it's not from from twenty-one and forty-six. It's from 1979. <laughs> That's what it's from. Well, they did win forty-nine in 2017. So, yeah. I mean, that, that's my point. My point is, I mean, don't, don't count the new glory years as where, where you basically get one or two games over 500 and you play in a playoff series. Please don't settle for that. Do not get excited for that. No one is. Nobody is. I mean, people like me who actually follow the team – and, you know, if they're in a playoff series, trust me, if we get to April or we get to early May and they're in like a best of seven after winning, let's just say they only have to win one of the play-in games because they end up being the seven seed or whatever, the eight seed, and they're playing Brooklyn or Boston or Milwaukee in a best of seven, this is a team unlike the Westbrook team, you know, from a couple years ago they got blew out by the 76ers. This is a team that would I'd actually like to see in a best of seven. But to your point, they're not going anywhere in the Eastern Conference with this group that in terms of like, you know, contending for anything meaningful. But they are one of the best five to six, seven teams in the Eastern Conference when they're healthy. Uh, that's what I would say. Okay. Do you have anything else? Okay. No, I've got, I've got nothing. Look, I haven't watched them. I've read about them. Mm-hmm. I follow them uh, online, but I haven't watched them because I really I don't watch the NBA. It's all I can do to watch the NBA during the playoffs. Uh, I mean, because the basketball stinks, you know. So, uh, but I, I, I want to be able to discuss the Wizards at least uh, from a distance, if not with any kind of personal first-hand knowledge. So I've been following them. I know that they beat San Antonio, and I know that they have—they seemingly have a group of good, core young players for the moment. Yes, for the moment, that's true. And for the moment, they're healthy, and that's been an issue with basically all of their, you know, I think in, in, impressive young players. They don't have a superstar game changer top five player, but Porzingis healthy. Is you know he he's an impactful player 
for sure. But we'll see what happens. They play Detroit, who stinks, tomorrow night. That'll probably get them to seven straight and within a game of 500. And then they've got Portland, Brooklyn, Cleveland. Um, they've got, you know, their next road trip includes Golden State. Um, anyway, uh, it, it, they've made – here's what they've done in the last – two or two and a half weeks. They've gotten themselves back to close to 500. They've gotten themselves in position where they actually could be a winning record NBA team this year, but they've also done it at, you know, uh, courtesy of kind of a weak schedule right now. Um, I know you don't like the NBA, so I'm not going to really talk about the NBA, but I'm going to, but I'm going to use the LeBron um, play from the Celtics game the other night. You saw that, right? Where he got fouled and it wasn't called. Oh yeah. 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 And, and the, and the, uh, my God, it was like, it was like King Kong being shot on the empire state building. He's really amazing. He's really just such an actor. Um, but and you know what was funny about this is he was right. But it was hard to be sympathetic to him because he was such a jerk about it. Couldn't agree more. I just, I it's real. The LeBron conversation is a tough one because I do recognize, you know, um, for those of you that are young and believe he's the greatest player in the history of the game, and my boys believe that. Um, I do recognize his greatness. I do. And look, he's going to pass Kareem here in the next couple of games, you know, and he's going to become the NBA's all-time leading scorer. And he's been much more than a scorer during his career. I, I get his greatness. And for me, you know, a couple of years ago, I finally, you know, elevated him into that Mount Rushmore category, certainly of the non-centers. But my God, is he just insufferable at times as a... I mean, that tantrum that he threw after that. By the way, I saw this stat because, you know, they've been complaining about not getting calls. Apparently, there have been 34 calls that were incorrect in Laker games this year in the final two minutes of close games. And 21 of the 34, I believe that would be more than half, have gone the Lakers' way. So it's not, you know, LeBron would have you believe and Patrick Beverly would have you believe that the league's out to get him. Let me just tell all of you conspiracy theorists when it comes to NFL rigged or NBA rigged, oh, the NBA would, would, if it's rigged, then trust me, LeBron's going to be in the finals this year. There is no chance that they would get a higher rating or more interest than if LeBron's in the finals. I mean, I used to say that about the LeBron-Kobe era. Like, if the NBA were truly rigged, and I watched the Tim Donaghy you know, Netflix special. It was great. And he was involved in some shady stuff and some rigged games, for sure. But if the NBA truly was rigged, we would have seen Cleveland against Kobe, LeBron against Kobe, at least once. We never saw it one time. If the NFL were rigged, you don't think that Dallas would still be alive? Right now in the postseason, I mean, come on. That's what frustrated me so much about the the conversation on social media after the Cincinnati game oh. was the idea that the first move that people would think is that there's some kind of conspiracy, and these brilliant conspiracists have put together this whole network that that manages to screw 
the Bengals, and then keep quiet about it for the rest of their fucking lives. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, well, look, in the NBA, the Tim Donaghy story was a real story. And and you know what? They couldn't yeah, keep no, quiet. But, but that was more yeah. about insider information. That was insider information. That wasn't necessarily. That was well, a, no, that was him. That was a referee. That was him fixing that was some a games. Referee. Yeah. No, that was a referee who knew what the league wanted to them to concentrate on on certain nights and mm-hmm. said accordingly. Right. That was insider information as much as anything. But uh, this whole this whole thing is just, I mean, you know, look, my, my go-to move is the head of the CIA, what was his name, General Petraeus? Yeah. He had an affair, and he couldn't keep it quiet. Jesus Christ. Here's what I mean, I, do you yeah. know how many people have to shut up to keep a conspiracy quiet? Um. So what I wanted, to, the reason I brought up the LeBron thing, and then you went to Cincinnati, Kansas City, which I was going to do as well, is I think there's a conversation about is it worse officiating, A, B, if you think it is, what can be done about it? Because my view, and then I'll let you respond, my view is as long as there's been the human element in officiating, we have been complaining about officiating for years, for years. I mean, there's been controversial finishes and teams that were screwed and bad calls by human beings, and I personally don't think it's worse. In fact, I think it's probably better because of all the attention on refereeing. Secondly, outside of like, you know, Maybe on the LeBron call, maybe replay being extended to non-calls, you know, in the final 30 seconds of a game or the final minute of a game where they could go over and correct that. I just don't think there are any big fixes. You know, uh, I think they've got a perception problem. You may be right. Uh, But, uh, I mean, my impression was watching the, I forget the name of the official, who was uh, Ron Torbert making the calls? Okay, he looked like he was past it, Kevin. And this this from an old guy. Okay, I mean, I think that, that the end, the NFL needs to put out the best crew they possibly can in these games, uh, and that includes a number of factors. Uh, and far be it from me to to be age discriminatory, but he looked like he was past it. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, I do think that it's benevolent on the NFL to basically reevaluate their officiating every year with the goal of, in the playoff games, not rewarding referees, but putting the best possible crew that they can out there. Well, they do. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure they do that the way they, they do with their system. Well, you know, in these playoff games, they don't take the crew as it was you know, constituted during the regular season. They do what they believe right. to be is a, an all-star crew. So Torbert's working with different referees on his particular team. But I want to go back to what you said at the beginning. Um, the league has a perception problem. Is it hurting the league? I don't think it is. I, I mean, the AFC Championship game just drew 53 million viewers 
It was the second most watched television show of the last year, Super Bowl being the number one. The ratings don't go down. They keep going up. The interest keeps going up. I'm, I, I would ask you, I'm not d- debating as to whether or not they have a perception problem, and maybe perception doesn't match actual reality, but what is the perception problem doing to them? How is it hurting them? You're right, but you could say that about the NFL, about anything, all the warts that the NFL has. You know, they're, they're, they're certainly not lethal in any way, shape, or form. But you operated a business. Is that the best way to operate? Hey, we've got all these problems, but as long as it's not hurting us, we can just ignore them? I think that, that they should push back if, if perception isn't reality. And I think you could, you know, you could literally, you know, put something out there that suggests that officiating and the efficiency of officiating and the accuracy of officiating has actually improved. Because I bet if there was any kind of legitimate study done on it, I think that's what you would find. I think you'd find that actually that that officiating has improved over the years from where it well, used to be. I think replay replay has improved officiating. I think the I big mean, I know that's sacrilege to say. I, but I, I think it has. I think the big issue with perception being a problem is that it's no longer impacting just people with major rooting interests. It's impacting, you know, people who have bet so many more people who have bet on these games. And, you know, you combine the legalized betting with social media, and I think you're right. I think the perception that the officiating is much worse and it's the worst it's ever been um, is kind of, um, you know, it's magnified by all of that. And not as many people would be as moved by it 10 years ago. But I bet that the officiating with replay and everything else is better. Tommy, <laughs> I um, I, 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 and I'm going to do this. I should have done it with you today, but we're not going to have time today. Maybe we can do it on Thursday. But Super Bowl 17's 40-year anniversary was yesterday, the Riggins' fourth and right. one run. And there's a play at the end of the game, and, and it's a play that I didn't remember until I watched the game. But basically, Riggins on the drive after the touchdown run fumbled and he was called down and Merlin Olson who was doing the game actually says that actually is a fumble but they didn't have replay Um, and Miami would have gotten possession of the ball down 20 to 17 with a chance to tie the score in Super Bowl 17 nobody really remembers that Riggins you know is the all-time clutch performer I think in the history of this town when it comes to professional you know uh, athletes and and what he did in that postseason and by the way what he did the the following year in the postseason as well but um I, I do you remember I mean for me the Mel Gray catch you know, if you go back and watch the Mel Gray catch in 1975 against the Redskins in a game that they called it a catch and Washington ended up losing a playoff berth because of it, he never it, – it, it's such an obvious play. It would have immediately from New York been, no, incomplete pass. There was a touchdown that was called out of bounds in the Oilers' Bum Phillips days, Earl Campbell days at Pittsburgh in the AFC Championship game that was a terrible call. There have been so many of those calls over the years. I actually think in many ways just like the New Orleans Rams NFC title game when they missed the egregious interference call, um, I actually think it adds to the lore of the NFL, these controversies. I don't think it hurts it. 
I, I think we can't say uh, because of the, the legalized gambling how that will play out in the future. I think that changes the equation a little bit. Look, you know how the sports books, and tell me if I'm wrong, uh, will go out of their way if they see any little red flag. Oh, yeah. To basically, well, well, I think the NFL uh, needs to operate that way when it comes to perception. I really do. I mean, if you want, I mean, you know, look, again, it doesn't seem to be hurting them. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do everything you can to change it. I know, but what are the changes? Like, I think you brought up something. I don't know. I I mean, I, I don't think that. I, I like last. I'm sure th- there are people that are much more sort of um, into the refereeing crews in the NFL than I am. Yeah. I'm, I'm not an expert on that. Like Zabe is obsessed with that. Um, so I would refer you to Zabe when it comes to the ranking of you know officiating crews, whether it's Hockley or Torbert or, or whomever. Um, but I do think that the crew you work with all season long, that the crews should be ranked and they should get the playoff games and you shouldn't mix and match. To me, that creates kind of a learning curve of working with the people you're working with that may impact something. Look, the worst, the worst play of the weekend for me wasn't any of the you know missed calls on blocks. Like I think that punt return, everybody's so convinced that, that was a block in the back. I think that's a very, very 50-50-ish kind of call. I think the same thing on the roughing the passer on Burrow. Um, I think the same thing on the hold that everybody's convinced was an absolute hold. You could call holding on every play. But the do-over, yes, on, the do-over on that third and nine when the back judge was trying to whistle the play dead – they got to fix something like that. Because t- t- yeah. I'll, I'll tell you why, Tommy. That to me is more, what would be the word to describe something like that versus a call that's missed or a call that's bad? That's like an administrative thing. And because they weren't used to working together, um, I, I, I'm not sure that that had anything to do with it. But administratively, if you're trying to whistle a play dead, but nobody notices that you've whistled the play dead and you let that play ultimately continue and you're not blowing that whistle as loud as you can with other referees blowing their whistles and jumping in the middle of the play to stop the play. I mean, you had the punt team and the punt return team out there. They played that play. Nobody, nobody hesitated on that play. It didn't appear. You've got to you've got to to handle that particular having a do-over on on a big third and nine was ridiculous. Well, that, that speaks that speaks to the perception because the play ultimately meant nothing. I, you're right because they didn't score on the drive. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, but but that's the play that everybody, a lot of people are hanging their hat on. They can't even. I mean, they they, they let plays happen that should have been stopped. So you're right. That speaks to perception, right there. Uh, I just think that they need to be uh, ever. They need to be diligent about their officiating every year. I think a little bit more than they do. You know, these guys are, are these guys, they employ full-time referees now, right? Yes. I don't know if all of them are. Are all of them full-time? Um, that's a good question. I don't know. I thought that they now, but, uh, I mean, or, no, well, actually, I don't, think, do. I don't think all of them are. I think you're right. I don't think okay. all of them are. By the way, yeah, what, so what we do thought they, that what was referees that was, earn? That was good. I don't know. That was going to affect everything. $200,000 and that didn't, you know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but I mean, it's just just it's 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 laughable 
that people think that the game was fixed. Well, NFL absolutely NFL rigged was like a hashtag going all day Sunday, and I just laugh at that because it's. If it were really rigged, you it wouldn't look. Uh, the truth is, any matchup in the Super Bowl is going to be watched by a hundred plus million people. Okay, so I understand that. But if the league were really rigged, you don't think they'd like to see the Cowboys playing this past weekend? You don't think that the Buffalo like going into this postseason? What would have been the dream rigged matchup for the NFL? Buffalo Demar Hamlin versus the Cowboys. And if not, get Tom Brady in there again somehow with the Bucks. I think. Yeah. I mean. But you look at the players. The players believe it. There were 49er players who were quoted saying that once Brock Purdy went down, it was like the league called the officials and said, make sure the 49ers don't get in the Super Bowl. Well, they had no chance of the making it to the Super Bowl. When, 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 when Josh Johnson went out, the chances for a half that they could even, you know, I think, what did Quilly say yesterday? That they couldn't have beaten, that, that the 49ers would have gotten routed by the Texans with what they put out there in the second half. I, I think that they would have been in trouble against Georgia uh, in the second half um, of that game. They had zero chance, obviously, of competing once Josh Johnson went out. They didn't have a quarterback that could throw a forward pass. By the way, which leads me to this, because I do want to get your uh, you know overall thoughts on the games um, on Sunday, and uh, I wanted to get to a couple of other things as well. But, you know, Brock Purdy, as it turns out, has, it looks like, a very serious injury. You know, he's got that yeah. elbow, um, that serious elbow injury that could take, um, it's, it's that UCL, could take six months to repair. It's, it's, it's that, um, this is the thing that, is this the thing that Strasburg has right now? No. It, 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 no, that's, that's something else. It's okay. the thing that Harper has. Oh, that's right. It's the thing that Harper has, exactly. Um, yes. And so a lot of people were upset that, uh, that, that, that like I got a couple tweets, your boy Kyle had Purdy out there. The Shanahan's did it again. They put a quarterback in jeopardy. Well, they didn't really put him in jeopardy because they didn't ask him to throw the football. They just asked him to hand the ball off with 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 with, with what he, he couldn't throw the football. Obviously, he couldn't throw the football. So they had conceded on the game. And I did for those of you that missed Cooley yesterday. Um, Cooley, like I thought that one of the criticism criticism criticisms, excuse me, of Kyle Shanahan could have been that he should have just gone with McCaffrey and gone eleven and eleven on eleven in the run game. But Cooley made a really good point. He said McCaffrey doesn't know the checks, the run checks. He doesn't. He hasn't been in the quarterback meeting room. If you're not going to throw the football with, you know, you, you, Purdy at least can check them based on the defense into a better running play, which is. Probably the reason he was out there, um, which I think makes sense. Um, but no, I don't think Kyle Shanahan put Brock Purdy in harm's way. He didn't ask him to actually drop back and throw a pass. I think he threw two quick no, screens and that was it. Right. Um, and, but i tell you what else he didn't do. It wasn't Kyle's finest moment. How so? I mean, that's a moment, uh, no matter what Cooley said, that's a moment where the coach really needs to step up and come up with a system 
to at least try to compete. And going 10 on 11 is not competing. You've got to figure out a better system than that. Instead, all he did was scream and rant and lose his composure on the sideline like his team did. It was a total meltdown by the 49ers and their coach. Man, I, I, I agree with you. There was major frustration. And by the yes. way, just so, so we're clear, because I, I, can, I can hear the people saying, oh, here comes the Shanahan defense from Sheehan. I bet Philadelphia, and I picked Philadelphia, and I was rooting for Philadelphia in this game. And when Brock Purdy went out and Josh Johnson came in, I felt really good about my bet, and I wanted Philly to hammer the yeah. 49ers. Okay, but... Look, I think, but, I think Kyle Shanahan is a great coach, oh, but this was not his greatest day. But t- I mean, this is the kind of moment, Kevin, that I, I know this is kind of abstract bullshit, but this is the kind of moment where you're, you're John Belushi... You gathered the brothers around, and you say, this could be our finest moment. Instead, it was the opposite. I'm not saying that you're saying this, but I'm going to use... I'm going to try to use what you um, said uh, about Carson Wentz. Uh, Anybody that thinks that it was a good idea to start Carson Wentz should be at the head of the dope school line or whatever your line was. Anybody that thinks anybody that thinks that Kyle Shanahan was was instrumental in the 49ers losing to the Eagles and I got a lot of there your, your boy Shanahan can't win the big one can't get to the Super Bowl and win it anybody that literally thinks that Kyle Shanahan had anything to do with the loss to the Eagles should be at the head of the dope class because you cannot win a football game without a quarterback in the NFL. That's why they lost the game. I think they would have, and I said this yesterday, I really believe that if Brock Purdy, after watching San Francisco's defense against Philadelphia's offense in the first half, I think if Brock Purdy doesn't get hurt, the 49ers are in the Super Bowl. And I picked Philadelphia, and I bet on Philadelphia, even though I you know, didn't have a great feel for the game one way or the other. But I think that they would be in the Super Bowl with Brock Purdy. And I'll go a step further. When McCaffrey scored on that drive to make it 7-7 to with Josh Johnson, we were still, if Josh Johnson stays in the game, we're still in for a relatively competitive game. I don't think they would have won the game. Philadelphia would have won the game, but it would have been a competitive game. But if anybody puts that loss on Kyle Shanahan, teacher dope in, in the dope class, because that's the dumbest take I've ever heard. Dumbest. Now, if you want to say that his team lost its cool and it got frustrated and they, they could have, you know, that's different. They had no chance of winning the game. I know that. After I'm they not lost. saying they had okay. a chance to okay. win. All right. I'm not saying they had a chance to win. I know. I'm not saying win. that you said that. I'm just saying he, he did not. He, did, he, he, he wasn't. He lost his composure and his team lost his composure too. And, you know, you can't, you can't afford to do that. I think the Eagles would have won anyway. Uh, I think that the Eagles were, were winning the battle on the, on the line of scrimmage, particularly uh, as the game went on. It was it was it was stunning uh, how they manhandled the Forty Niners uh, on on the offensive line. On the, I mean, the Forty Niners defensive front. 
Yeah, but that uh, was so that Eagles was when the game that was when the game was over. I mean, if you the beginning of that game, the 49ers defensively were awesome. I mean, and that's why but I think I, the Eagles I think the Eagles I, I do too. worn them down. I, I, I think that, by the way, I think the Eagles, the underrated portion of that game really is how good the Eagles were defensively, but it was a it was pretty easy to be really good defensively against a team with Josh yeah. Johnson for a quarter and no quarterback for a half. So it's really hard to give them that much credit. But if you if the early portion of that game from you know the fumble where they forced it was three and out four and out three and out and the 49ers were a wrecking crew and the truth is that Kyle the 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 game changing play in that game there were two of them is not challenging the Devontae Smith drop on the fourth right. and three right which again I'm not sure why New York didn't jump in we've seen New York jump in all season long and immediately tell the referees that's an incomplete pass. We've seen that, and it's a championship game. So what else are they doing? They're not watching 15 games at once. Um, but, you know, and they're, and they're, you know, I think when Devontae Smith jumped up and started signaling, hey, let's hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, and Hufanga, their safety, kind of said no, that Kyle should have, uh, Kyle should have, have challenged the play. And then, I thought, yeah. and, and then I thought the other key portion was, the Josh Johnson drop of the perfect snap fumble at the end of the half. It, it would have been 14-7. They would have had a chance in the second half, even with Josh Johnson with the defense playing um, really well. But, look, bottom line but you're is you're going to have yeah. a, a quarterback who doesn't play, you're going to have snaps drop like that. You, that's going to happen. And what do you expect? Well, I don't expect a, a veteran quarterback like Josh Johnson to just drop, you know, in his hands a perfect snap. And then, by the way, not being able to fall on the ball right at his feet. I don't know how much practice you need for that. Um, you know, the funny thing about Josh Johnson is he's the guy that in Jay Gruden's final season here in 2018, when, you know, they were losing quarterbacks left and right, Alex Smith, right. your boy Colt McCoy, and then it was Sanchez. And then Josh Johnson came in, played really well when they beat Jacksonville, and played a really good game against Tennessee when they were actually still mathematically alive. But that was – I've told Jay before, I think that may have been the best stretch of coaching he's ever done. He had nothing at quarterback, and that team was competitive down the stretch. Um, but anyway, uh, whatever. It sounds like we've done the 49er Eagle um, reaction yeah. for you. Let's do the Kansas City-Cincinnati reaction. And I want to talk about Washington's offseason quarterback path. Uh, we'll get to those things right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show 
by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This segment of the show brought to you by Window Nation. Go to windownation.com slash home show. Uh, you'll get all of the Window Nation home show savings, which includes five years interest free. Also, uh, you will pay half price on those windows. Buy two, get two free with no limit. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com slash home show. Mention my name. You'll get a free estimate. Uh, the Senior Bowl in Mobile uh, is this coming weekend. It's uh, Senior uh, Bowl week down in Mobile. Um, ben Standig will join me all week long on the radio show, so you can tune in for that. Um, Ron Rivera is not there. Um, he is somewhere else, actually, and we'll share that with you here momentarily. But before we get to that, Chiefs-Bengals, uh, you haven't had a chance to weigh in on that game. What would you think? Uh, well, I, I think you saw uh, – and no one can predict what's going to happen. I mean, you know, things things come up, but uh, that's going to be a hell of a rivalry Mahomes and Joe Burrow for years to come. And what I saw was a quarterback who uh, plays the position better than anyone I've ever seen play the position. I mean, Mahomes is just unbelievable. I mean, imagine playing for him. Imagine what the players feel like. I mean, you know, I, I remember Ernie, of course, he talking about the value of a quarterback, uh, the former the Giants bus, GM. The bus line. Yeah, it went, went uh, and he gets on, they, they look at him and they say, well, we got a chance with this guy. I mean, that's the ultimate with, with, with Mahomes. Everybody on that, that Kansas City team must feel like they're going to win every game because they've got him. He's so good. He is yeah. so good. I mean, he is so creative and so quick. I mean, and he wasn't and even quick the other day. Flawless. I know. Yeah, I, 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 um, I can't believe how good he is. Uh, I, I think he's. Well, I, I said this recently, and I forget it if, if you and I had this conversation together. I, I can't think of a player that's ever been a lock Hall of Famer faster than Patrick Mahomes. You may tell me Unitas or Gale Sayers or somebody like that. Um, if he never took another snap. Uh, in the NFL, he's in the Hall of Fame first ballot. It's not even close. I agree. I and, agree. And I've, I've never seen. I mean, I've never had anyone basically take my breath away in terms of the conversation of the greatest quarterback of all time. It took Brady six Super Bowls for me to get to that point. Okay, in terms of accomplishments, but the greatest quarterback I've ever seen place for the Kansas City Chiefs right now. Wow. Wow. Think about that, boys and girls. All right. Old, 
Old man Tom just said Patrick Mahomes is the greatest quarterback he's ever watched. I can't tell you how many times that if somebody made a statement like that, he would start with laughing and then just, <laughs> did I, I mean, these people today, they didn't see Unitas. They didn't see Otto Graham. I mean, you would have had the list, Bart Starr, the whole thing. I, um, I can't put him in... Because I think that accomplishment, you know, goes up there too. So Brady is still number one for me. But I would be very surprised if Patrick Mahomes plays another three years or four. And at that point, I'm not willing to say he's the greatest of all time. Because at that point, a lot of the accomplishment will be there with it. I I do think that Mahomes and Rodgers in my lifetime of watching quarterbacks, and I would put Elway and Marino into that conversation, are the most gifted quarterbacks that I've ever watched. Like Brady and Manning are different than Rodgers and Mahomes and Elway and even Marino to a certain degree. And I know Marino from a mobility standpoint is more like Brady and Manning, but I don't think I've ever seen anybody throw the football like Marino from the pocket with the quick release, with the accuracy, with the velocity. I mean, I just, I still, when people tell me that Dan Marino's not in their top 10, I do the Tommy laugh and just say, please, just stop. You're, you're, you're now, you can't be in this conversation anymore. It's a big boy conversation. Because Dan Marino, I mean, Dan Marino threw for 5,000 yards before basically anybody other than Dan Fouts was throwing for 4,000. And I just, I, I, Marino's one of my all-time favorites, and Elway was my number one of all time because Elway is like Mahomes and like Rodgers, you know, well in advance of Mahomes and Rodgers. Um, but Mahomes is the most creative. He is, what he did the other day really added to his legacy too because he was, yes. he was uh, you know, if, if Cooley called it 60% of Mahomes. Um, whatever it was, it wasn't the Patrick Mahomes that we're used to seeing, and he did it from the pocket. And the throw that he had um, to Valdez Scantling on the third and 10 that gave him the 20-13 to 13 lead where he basically ducked pressure, kept anybody from hitting that ankle, and still threw it off basically one ankle on a dime with incredible velocity is one of the better throws you'll see all year. Uh, he was brilliant on Sunday. They had no chance. He carried the team on one ankle to the Super Bowl. Yes. So, yes. So did you, you, you thought that that was roughing the passer at the end, right? Yes, I did. Okay. Yes, I did. I thought it was a foolish uh, – look, I'm not a, a believer in one play costs the team a game. There's lots of moments in a game where it can turn, but uh, it was an inopportune uh, moment for them. And, yes, it was uh, roughing the pay. It would have been called under any circumstances, I think. I think um... – you know, the one thing that I'm glad to see, I, I, I'm assuming that this hasn't happened because I haven't read about it, and yet when New Orleans lost that NFC title game to the Rams, and people forget that New Orleans actually won the toss and had the ball to begin overtime, uh, and they lost the game when Breeze threw the interception in overtime. Um, but remember how the, you know, basically the fans and the city and everybody was suing everybody. They wanted to sue everybody for losing that game. I have not gotten that from Cincinnati. 
um, which is nice. And even the mayor from Cincinnati, who was called out by everybody, including Travis Kelsey, calling him a, calling him a jabroni, uh, he had a pretty That's self-deprecating. Great. That was great, by the way. He had a pretty self-deprecating tweet. Um, the mayor did. Yeah. You know, he wasn't calling for lawsuits against the NFL like the Saints fans were in the, in, in the New Orleans. You know, uh, uh, political uh, people were after that loss, but. Uh, yeah, that was roughing the passer. I mean, that's called 95. You know, it's a, yeah. a lot of people reached out to me and said, Sheehan, 95% of the time, that's 100 out of 100 that gets called. Once yeah. the arm got extended, yeah. whether he flailed or not was immaterial. You know, that, that flag was coming out, and I, I, I tend to agree. So do you have a first thought on the Super Bowl? Philadelphia at my bookie right now, minus two. I like the Eagles. I think the Eagles uh, are will wear down any opponent they face, and they're like the they, they're like the fighter who wins the championship rounds. You know, the last four rounds of a fight. I think the Eagles are like that because of the way they play so physically. I think they'll keep it close, and I think they'll wear down their opponent. In this case, the Chiefs. And I think, oh, I mean, you know, I think, I mean, when you saw that that Jalen Hurts sustained drive where he ran the ball, what, five or six times in a row? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that's symbolic of what they can do uh, near the end of a game. The funny thing is, is I said this to Chris yesterday, because uh, I, I love Jalen Hurts and I've been a fan of Jalen Hurts and I thought that he could, you know, turn into a really good quarterback. I thought it was so unnecessary. The game was over, and he's not 100%. And he took some shots running the football there at the end. Um, He's a badass, and apparently, you know, he is the leader of all leaders. You know, Merrill Reese I've had many times on the radio show, you know, at least twice a year typically before the Washington games, the longtime legendary play-by-play voice for the Eagles uh, radio network. And he's been telling me, and he told me last year, and he told me before this year, he said, Jalen's the 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 absolute most respected person in that building. He is a total leader. Uh, that's one of the things about Jalen Hurts. I just remember when he got benched, you know, for for Tua in that championship game, and then the following year he got a chance to come in the, in the SEC title game, and he never bitched, and he was always ready. I just always loved Jalen Hurts yeah. as a college player. Um, but with that said, I don't think he should have run as much on that drive. But after what we were just talking about with respect to Patrick Mahomes, that's why I'm going Kansas City. I just think that you know another two weeks for him to get healthier. Hopefully, I think they need to have some of those receivers back because he was without receivers too in that game. Yeah. But I'm going to go with um, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, uh, or I'm just going to go with Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> And believing in ultimately the importance of the position, the greatness in Mahomes, and somehow they get it done. I'm actually surprised they're an underdog. And they didn't open up as an underdog. They opened up as a slight favorite in most places, you know, pick them in most places. I'm surprised that a lot of the money is on Philadelphia here um, early uh, in the Super Bowl, you know, uh, lead up. I'm surprised at that. All right, so... um, I saw our good friend Chris Russell retweet a junkies tweet 
with Ron Rivera playing golf out at Pebble Beach. That's where the tour is uh, this week. They're in Pebble this week, and then next week they're out in Scottsdale for the waste management as the Super Bowl's out in Scottsdale. Uh, When you get the Super Bowl and the waste management in the same week out in Arizona, going to be some late nights. I've done it twice. Um, All right, so there's a picture of Ron Rivera playing at Pebble Beach, playing golf at Pebble Beach. And the junkies tweeted out the picture earlier this morning. Are you okay with commander's coach Ron Rivera playing golf at Pebble Beach this week when he still hasn't hired an offensive coordinator? And then our, our, our good friend, Chris Russell, retweeted it and said, no offensive coordinator, the senior bowl going on, not a good look in any way. Sorry, but that's the truth. And, of course, right now Russell is talking about it on his show with Pete Medhurst on our station, uh, 980. Um, I don't have a problem with Ron Rivera playing golf at Pebble Beach today and probably the Pro-Am this week. I don't have a problem with it at all. First of all, I don't even know that he'll be the coach here by the time we get to the end of March. Um, But, you know, even if this were a normal situation Uh, I don't have a problem with it. He can interview these offensive coordinator candidates by Zoom. He can can interview them at Pebble Beach. He can interview them last week back at the office and this week back at the office a little bit later on in the week when he's back after maybe a two-day or three-day trip to Pebble Beach. I don't have a problem with this at all. Do you? No, I have no problem with this. Uh, Look, Ken Sampisi ain't going anywhere. Okay, <laughs> Pat Shermer's not going to so, get hired by anybody else. Right, right. So these guys, they're, they're not going anywhere. And, and the so-called big swing that they want to take with Eric Bieniemy, uh, I mean, that would this is just ludicrous. You know that that he would come to take a job with like with a franchise where a new coach may exist in, in a month or two uh, or within a year. Uh, and and run an offense the exact opposite of what they run in Kansas City. You know, imagine calling plays for, and if he does, call plays for uh, for Patrick Mahomes and then calling plays for Sam Howell in the run-first offense of the Washington Well, he doesn't Commanders. call plays. That's part of the problem is that's that he true. doesn't call plays. Yeah, that's, that why, that's why a lateral move for Biennemi kind of makes sense. He's got to get, you know, out of the shadow of, of Andy Reid. But this is the wrong place to do that. Well, it's always the wrong place you know? to do that. Yeah, yeah it, is, it is always the wrong place. So, no, I don't have a problem with it. Uh, this is this is an ultimate lame duck situation for everyone involved. You know, they, they're, they're going to be lucky to get a body to fill the role. And, uh, you know, if they're not going to dig up George Hallis' from his grave to be the offensive coordinator, then it really doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, I, I first of all, he didn't go to the Senior Bowl last year either, just um, if my memory serves me correctly. I'm pretty sure I'm right on that because I think Ben told me that this morning um, or maybe yesterday we talked about that with Ben on the podcast. Um, so, I mean, that's a Mayhew – that's a scout's trip. And, and I know Ron is coach-centric Ron, okay? He's the head of the football operation, but he didn't go to it last year. You know, he was, he was busy looking at Carson Wentz's film. Um, uh, but 
I, I just, I mean, this is like kind of ridiculous to me. Like a couple of days out in Pebble Beach, um, I if 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 he weren't a lame duck, if there, if we were talking about year two of a five year deal. I just don't think that this is – I think this is overdone. Here's the here's the thing that I think is going to be interesting, and I, I mentioned this to Ben yesterday. I think that the Eric Bieniemy stuff and the Anthony Lynn stuff, if they're able to hire one of those people and they pull it off and they have to commit, you know, just say a two-year deal for – you know, two million bucks a year, something like that. That's with some of these good OCs. They're two to three million bucks a year. I don't think Scott Turner was at that. I think it's going to be really interesting to then react to. Okay, the owner's okay with making those kinds of decisions. What does that mean with respect to the sale? Now, that's not a big investment. Yeah. You know, that's not a Lamar Jackson investment. They're not going to make that. They're not going to make probably even a Derek Carr kind of commitment. Um, but I, I think that the more interesting is the flip side to that. What if, and I said to Ben, what if we get an you know, some sort of an announcement here shortly that Ken Zampezi has been given the interim offensive coordinator job. And I just thought of that because I thought if this Rex Ryan stuff, which came from Diana Rossini's tweet last week in a Colin Cowherd segment on it, and I know you want to talk about this. Um, and for those that missed it, I'll play it here for a moment. But I just thought if you end up on the offensive coordinator spot getting like Ken Zampezi is going to be our interim offensive coordinator, that pretty much tells you, I think, that there is a major spending freeze, that this thing's going to get done quickly, as in the next few months, which Jay Glazer reported over the weekend, that the ownership thing's going to be taken care of by the end of March, and that the new ownership's coming in and cleaning house the moment they get in. I mean, they're, they're basically going to clean house, and they've got some people maybe lined up who knows, maybe Sean Payton. Now, I know you went away in on the Rex Ryan stuff, but real quickly, like, don't you think that that would be a major tell if Zampezi was given the job or even worse, given the job as an, with an interim tag? I don't think you need to give him an interim tag. He's already working for you. Yeah, but you got to elevate you know? him to the OC position and give him the pay that corresponds to that job. I know. I know. I don't think – if they hire him, period – as offensive coordinator, I think that's a reasonable conclusion that uh, that it's a bookkeeping move that uh, things are going to change dramatically real soon. So, yeah, I agree with you. All right, let's play the Rex Ryan thing. I played it yesterday. We talked about it with uh, Ben yesterday, um, but I want your reaction. This was Rex Ryan Sunday on the pregame show on ESPN suggesting that Washington is the potential landing spot for not only Sean Payton, but Tom Brady as well. Randy, this is why I say it could happen. There's a strong possibility that there's going to be a change in ownership. All right. And when that happens, these owners aren't tied in to that coach. And, and to me, I can see a Sean Payton Tom Brady, we talk about Miami. Well, let's just, the Miami contact and Brady, it was the Sean Payton, it was going to be that marriage of those two. So I could possibly see that down the road. I mean, if he doesn't sign with the Raiders immediately, I could see this as a possibility. 
Before, Tommy, you give me a reaction, just for those that missed the show yesterday, there was some context for this. I mean, it could have been just Rex Ryan having a source and or just, you know, giving some thoughts to this. But Diana Rossini sent out a tweet last week that was kind of cryptic. It was in uh, a quote tweet form of a guy out of New Orleans that was updating everybody on Sean Payton and where he was interviewing. And Diana, who was in this market for a while and broke a lot of stories, wrote, I was told there's also a team waiting in the wings watching all of this and could make a move if they get their ducks in a row. Colin Cowherd took that on Fox and said, Diana Rossini has ties to D.C. Washington is the sleeper market for Sean uh, Payton to land in when they get the new ownership. And the only reason that Colin Cowherd's comments might be significant is he had Sean Payton on his show every single week this year as a contributor to the Cowherd show um, as part of the, the overall Fox commitment that Sean Payton had this year. So go ahead. What were your thoughts on this? Well, I, I thought that was pretty interesting. I think I think it's 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 indicative of what you said. I think they're and what Jake Glazer reported. This is going to happen quick. It will happen quick enough for them to make dramatic changes. I mean, unless there's some kind of snafu, and when you're dealing with a major business deal like this, there's always the possibility that something could come up at the last minute to screw it up. But. Uh, I mean, if, if this happens, you know, by, by the March owners' meetings, yeah, you can pull this off. You can clean your house. You can start over. You can bring in the big guns like a Sean Payton, and if, if you really want a Tom Brady. Uh, so I think it's. Uh, I think the idea of Sean Payton coming here to coach. If you, uh, if I was a prospective owner. Uh, I would have already talked to Sean Payton and had discussions with him about being my coach. That doesn't mean that would be my final decision, but I would have had multiple conversations with Sean Payton at this point if I was bidding for the Washington football team. Yeah, I think that's true. I think what you just said is true. Like if if any of us were in the position of being one of the bidders and potentially being one of the front runners, you would be talking, you would you would have you'd be planning like, okay, what are we going to do yes. when we get this team? You know, because it's stale right now. We need some life. And by the way, we need a, an overall better football situation. Okay, Ron Rivera is a respected guy. And, you know, uh, the, the people that they have in the building are more respected than they were before. But we're bringing in our own team. You know, Tom Landry yeah. was cut loose when Jerry Jones had Jimmy Johnson sitting there waiting to come in and take over the Cowboys when he bought the team from Tech Schramm and company. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if it's a Josh Harris or a, a Bezos or a Feliciano or whatever, the California group, um, and they've reached – and who knows what their relationship might already be with Sean Payton. They might know him, or they may know somebody close to Sean Payton, and maybe they've said – this thing's going to get resolved. It's going to happen quickly, and I'm going to clean house, and I want you to be my coach, and I want also uh, Tom Brady you know, or the quarterback of your ch- – hopefully the owners – I want the owner that says to the coach, who do you think the quarterback yes. should be? So the yes, Tom Brady – Absolutely. Yeah, because to me – Sean Payton made very made it very clear uh, that during the season in an interview when he said, "I'll go back to coaching, but only in the ideal situation when it comes to ownership and stability in, in an organization." Which means Washington would have never, ever been a possibility for Sean Payton had the Snyder's continued to own the team. 
But I, you know, I didn't discount this completely with Ben yesterday. I still think it's a long shot because of something that Sean Payton said, which was he thinks a lot of these coaching things are going to be resolved during the week in between the championship games and the Super Bowl. And maybe he was referring to himself. Maybe he was referring to others. But we are, by the way, I think, going to be later than typical with a lot of these coaching decisions being made. Usually they're made pretty quickly. Ron Rivera, remember, was hired on the day after Thanksgiving, Tommy, if you recall, back in 2020. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. But it was the day after New Year's. The owner at the time was confused with which day it was. Yeah. Um, but I'll tell you what, seriously, you want to get P- Sean Payton, the Tom Brady thing, I think would be really interesting. Sean Payton and Aaron Rodgers would be the dream for me and then drop commanders and go to Washington. Yeah. Um, and now, now we've got something to get, you know, interested in again with the yeah, new owner absolutely. who I, pr- I would prefer be somebody less high profile than Jeff Bezos. I don't know anything about these owners, so I really can't say with any certainty who would be a better owner than the other. Josh Harris has owned sports teams before. He owns the New Jersey Devils. They're having a really good season. He's He owns the Philadelphia 76ers and a lot of good things by media members and critics um, in those uh, respective sports have said that he's a pretty good owner. You know, and he's also a yeah, hands-off. I, mean, I mean, so yeah, I, but I don't want know an enough. owner. You want an owner, I think, who recognizes there's need for dramatic change immediately. That you've got a sick patient on life support, and you need you need to bring the paddles in right now <laughs> with a dramatic move. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say something that would have been, uh, I think, distasteful. But you absolutely need <laughs> you absolutely need the defib uh, machines immediately yes. to the patient. Yes. And look, the bottom line is, you know, that first shock is going to get the patient breathing again, and that is that Dan's gone. Immediately, yes. the patient now has survived and is alive again. And now getting them really interested in terms of buying tickets. And, you know, I think there are a lot of other things that have to happen. I think they've got to do away with, you know, Corporal Tutty and the the, the, the name of the team, um, the 2222 brand. Uh, I think a lot of that stuff, the Will Middlebrooks, the Will Misselbrook uh, disaster, which he calls the the greatest rebrand uh, in his LinkedIn profile in NFL history, whatever. I'm not going to kill him for that. Again, I want to be clear on something. They had an impossible task. Okay, after you, you don't coming in and changing a brand that's been around for 80 plus years and trying to satisfy everybody, it's impossible. Um, I just think that they butchered it so many different ways as they butchered everything else. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, the patient's going to live once Dan's gone. It's gonna, and, and whether or not, you know, it comes back to, to full life and is healthier than before um, will, you know, be contingent on all of the other moves that the new owner makes. But Sean Payton on March th- you know, 28th uh, with the new owner in place, that would uh, – you're going to sell – That would do it. Yeah, and then all uh, – and, and, but Aaron – and Aaron Rodgers is still out there as a possibility. 
Um, yeah. Justin Fields is still a possibility before the draft because the Bears want to trade Justin Fields and draft Bryce Young. A lot of possibilities exist Look, out I'm, there. I'm all for Tom Brady, actually, coming here for a year. Fine. Yeah, it's year I, to year with Brady at this point. Yeah, but Rodgers makes him an absolute contender. I, I, I think Brady certainly makes him – obviously Brady's going to be an upgrade over what they've had. But, man, he's much closer to falling off the cliff than Rodgers is. Uh, all right, I want to finish up the show with more Washington quarterback discussion and a quick preview of Terps, Indiana. Uh, I think really at this point the biggest game of the year for Maryland tonight at Xfinity against 21st-ranked Indiana. We'll do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, Tommy, tell us about our good friends at Shelly's Backroom. Well, uh, if you're a loyal listener to the podcast and going back to our days with the sports fix, you know the concept of the menu of excellence, okay? It's what we try to present to you every single day, a menu of excellence. Not everybody can do it. Not everybody tries. That's our goal. That's what we have in common with Shelly's Backroom. But Shelly's Backroom has menus of excellence, not just one, but several menus of excellence. The Great Cigar Bar in D.C. at 1331 F Street Northwest in the district. They have a menu of excellence when it comes to food. They have a menu of excellence when it comes to drinks. And in particular, since they're in the cigar business, they have an absolute menu of excellence when it comes to cigar selections that you can walk in and say, fix me up with something I'm looking for right here. Check out this collection. It's from the Opus X. Listen to the name of this collection, Mm. the God of Fire Lost City Collection. You listen to these cigars, the God of Fire Churchill. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, who wouldn't want to smoke a cigar named God of Fire? Uh Okay? That's just a small list. They have Davidoff's. They have uh, have Romeo and Julietta's. They have all kinds of different cigars. Shelly's Back Room, 1331 F Street Northwest. Uh, You had said during the break that you wanted to mention something about Mobile, Alabama. Well... I'm only two hours away yeah. here in, in Destin sure. from Mobile. And, and we're going there this Saturday, not to watch the Senior Bowl, uh, but we're going to a festival, the Spirit of Our Ancestors Festival, that takes place there. Uh, there's a great documentary I'd recommend to everybody called Descendant. 
It's about the search for America's last known slave ship. Uh, it was called the Clotilda, and it was found just outside of Mobile just a couple of years Why ago. Why are you pronouncing it uh, Mobile? Is it Mobile or Mobile? I always pronounce it Mobile. I thought it was Mobile. But I'm open to other interpretations. But I'm, uh, I mean, we watched this documentary. We were fascinated with it. I recommend it to anyone, descendant, uh, about the search for the last slave ship. And, and this town called Africa Town, this small little part of Mobile, hmm. Uh, and what they've had to go through. And the key part for me is one of the community activists there is a guy named Cleon Jones. Cleon Jones was a left fielder for the New York Mets. He made the last catch on the 1969 really? World Series championship against the – yeah, and hit 340 that year. He's one of the best hitters in the history of the Mets organization. And he lives in Mobile – and he's a community activist there, so I'm hoping to look him up and, and interview him and do a story about him while I'm there. So that's why I'm going to be in Mobile this Saturday, not for the Senior Bowl. If it's, it's the Senior Bowl on Saturday? Uh, the Senior Bowl is on is, Saturday, right? correct. Yeah, I yeah. won't be there for that. Well, Apparently the Post has a couple of reporters down here, down there for it, but uh, that's not where I'll be. Um. I think maybe your day will be much more interesting, actually. You know, I've been, I, I have not been because, you know, we haven't been reporters. You have been more than I. But, but I haven't been to Mobile for the Senior Bowl, but I've been to Mobile. You know, I've told you before that one of my best friends was in flight school down in Pensacola when we were much younger. And so we went down to Pensacola a few times. And then we would go into Mobile. And then we, of course, would eventually make our way on I-10 through the state of Mississippi into New Orleans. Yes. Um, and yeah. get down to New Orleans um, <laughs> on a lot of those trips as well. Um, Since you brought it up with the Senior Bowl, I thought I'd mention it. Okay. That's where I'll be. Well, on thank Saturday. you. Thank you. And I'm going to write it. I'll hopefully, make me Cleon Jones, one of my childhood heroes. Yeah. And write a story about him. That was that, that was part of the the buffet menu dessert options. The mo, the mobile yes. the mobile conversation. Yes. Um, yes, it was. Uh, so. I, I'm fascinated with all of the people that have pushed back on some of my conversation recently about Aaron Rodgers or Anthony Richardson at 16. He's not going to be there at 16 or a trade up or a trade up for Justin Fields if the Bears end up wanting to trade him. Um, I, I'm, I'm just so fascinated by those that are absolutely sure that the right way to go is Sam Howell and building up around yeah. Sam Howell. And I, I I didn't do a lot of work here because I've done this before, so it was kind of available to me. I just updated everything. But you have to just, if you look at history, the chances that a fifth-round quarterback ends up being your franchise quarterback, it's needle in haystack territory. It just is, people. I'm not telling you that, you know, Sam Howell can't be a nice quarterback and that I'm not intrigued with his physical abilities. You know, uh, I mean, I was with him coming out of college. I wasn't the biggest fan of him coming out of college. I certainly am not convinced one way or the other after the game against the Cowboys. We only threw the ball 19 times. Um, But of the... 18 of the starting quarterbacks in the NFL 
were drafted in the last 10 years. If you look at the draft in the last 10 years, 18 of the starting quarterbacks came from the draft, 12 of those from the top half of the first round, and then six of those from the second round or earlier. Only Dak Prescott is below in the last 10 years, a quarterback that has started in the NFL that you would call a regular starting quarterback. And he went in the fourth round, Derek Carr in the second round, Geno Smith in the second round, and then Hurts in the second round. And then you've got Pickett right now and Lamar Jackson kind of late first round. All of the other guys that are starting came in the top half of the first round. And then as far as the other 14 teams, well, they're either in quarterback purgatory, you know, quarterback hell like Washington, which you could argue is one of the worst three or four situations in the NFL at quarterback, or they've got veteran quarterbacks that were at one time high draft choices like Matt Stafford, who was the number one overall, overall. Kirk Cousins was a fourth rounder. Tom Brady was a sixth rounder. We understand that. But we're talking about Dak Prescott, essentially the only guy in the last 10 years out of the draft that's turned into a regular starting quarterback after the second round. It's needle in haystack. I'm not counting Brock Purdy at this point. First of all, that injury may be so serious. It may have really limited his chances to be that guy. I just want the path to the next quarterback to be continuing to think big, continuing to swing big until you land on the quarterback that is a franchise quarterback. You know, if you want to say, well, I don't want to, I don't want to swing too big, but I'll, 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 I'll give you, let's try second and third round guys. Okay, but for the most part, Zero chance with those guys, too. I mean, again, you got the Prescott and the Hurts, you know, situation. Der- Geno Smith and Derek Carr. I mean, Derek Carr is a really is a good quarterback, not necessarily a franchise quarterback where you're guaranteed double digit wins for a long period of time. And it took it took Geno Smith ten years, nine years. You know, more often than not, what you get every year in the fifth round, if you want to go back 10 years in the draft, is you get Tom Savage. I'm talking about guys that have played. Garrett Gilbert, okay? Um, You end up with Sean Mannion, who might still be in the league. Brett Hundley, Trevor Simeon. You know, these are the kind – Jacoby Brissett was a third rounder. He's still in the league. But almost everybody ends up out of the league after the fourth round. Everybody. People that you have never heard of, there are countless numbers of Brad Kaya's, Chad Kelly's, and Logan Woodside's, and Alex McHugh's, and Danny Etling's, okay, and Luke Falk's. I mean, that's what that that's more likely than not what Sam Howell is. And I know that he came with a bigger billing. Understood, and I talked about that because the year before he was supposed to be a much higher draft choice. Jake Fromm was a fifth rounder in 2020. At one point when he was at Georgia, people were thinking maybe first rounder. Same th- same thing with Jake uh, Jacob Eason at Washington. If he'd come out a year earlier, he may have been a second or a first rounder, not a fourth rounder. You know, it's not unusual for the Hal situation to develop where, well, Sheehan, if he had been taken a year earlier, he would have been a first-round pick. Okay, but when he came out 
Everybody passed on him except for Washington when it got to the fifth round. So that's what he is. He's a fifth rounder. So, again, I'm not saying you're going to be wrong. He might be the needle in, in the haystack. But it would be a long shot if it turned out that Sam Howell was the answer, like the long-term answer at quarterback for Washington. So I would rather look at moving up to draft a quarterback if you really like quarterbacks, you know, being aggressive in the draft, being aggressive if an Aaron Rodgers is at, is actually available, and I don't know what they're going to be, uh, uh, you know, allowed to do anyway because of the ownership situation. But I'm I'm just I'm really I'm fascinated with those of you that believe, and I think Brock Purdy has something to do with it, and Jalen Hurts has something to do with it, where you're like, nope, 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 stop doing that. It doesn't work. Yeah. It's, it, it absolutely doesn't work. They've got the situation they need. Now let's just invest on building a really good team and, by the way, getting a really good coaching staff around Sam Howell. I think more likely than not, what you will end up being is what more teams that try to go that route end up being. And that is, you know, the teams like Denver and Buffalo before Josh Allen and the Jets before, you know, uh, well, the Jets period, where you had some really good teams, but you didn't have a quarterback. Or you end up being a Houston with Brock Osweiler and Tom Savage and whomever else they had before Deshaun Watson winning, you know, nine games but not doing anything in the postseason. I mean, best case maybe being a Tennessee with a really good coaching staff and a really good team and a really great player in Derrick Henry with just average to sub-average quarterback play, winning 10 games, 11 games, but not getting it done in the postseason. Like, maybe you can hope for that, but that's even a long shot. I just don't get it. I, I... I totally disagree I don't get it either. with the not thinking big and continuing to swing big strategy because that's what I would do. Um, yes. And, you know, I'll, I'll just end on this, but if, if you have anything else I want you to add to it. Like the Justin Fields thing to me would be interesting um, if, if he is available because I could see Justin Fields if you had to give up. Let's just say you had to give up Deron Payne in a second rounder. I don't know what I honestly don't know what the compensation for him would be. I'm just guessing, um, or maybe you just give up number 16 overall, um, and you know, an, a, a player for Justin Fields. And, but, but I don't know if it's Deron Payne because that's almost like giving up two first rounders for Justin Fields, and I don't think that's what you have to give to to move up uh, to 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 trade for Justin Fields. Um, but Justin Fields could come in here with this team, and Washington, with the right coaches, could play like Philadelphia has with Jalen Hurts because they're very similar. So that would be of interest to me. Um, but nothing would interest me as much as the possibility of an Aaron Rodgers joining this team and turning this team into an instant contender overnight. But I don't think that's going to happen. I just, you know, I, I don't think that – I don't see that happening. I, I think he ends up in Green Bay or with the Jets. And I think Washington, by the way, will be limited to its solutions as well. And more likely than not, the solution that they'll have for next year, you know, unless the ownership thing cleans house and brings in Brady or does something like that, they'll, you'll probably get your wish, some of you, Sam Hell. Okay. Anything else on this? I got nothing else for you today, boss. Can I just tell you real quickly that Maryland plays Indiana tonight? Um, Indiana's ranked 21st in the country. 
By the way, if you listen to my podcast through uh, the end of the podcast yesterday, I predicted that Maryland would be favored tonight. I just had this gut instinct at having bet on a lot of college basketball games over the years and followed this, that the home team against a ranked team was going to be favored. Maryland's a three-point favorite tonight against 21st-ranked Indiana, who's won five in a row um, with just incredible performances recently from from their center, uh, uh, Trace Jackson Davis, um, who's a 6'9 senior, who in his last five games has gone 18 and 12, 35 and 9, 31 and 15, 25 points, 21 rebounds in their win over Minnesota, and then 18 and 10 against Ohio State. He's also got a game from earlier this year against Northwestern where he had 18 points and 24 rebounds. College game, 40 minutes. He's playing a lot of 40 minutes or 38, 39 minute games. Um, yeah. Maryland's favored over Indiana. This is a big spot for the Terps tonight. They have really played well in the last two weeks. They're the only team that's been close, really, with Purdue here recently. They had a chance to tie that game late. They blew out Nebraska. They blew out Wisconsin. Um, But those two teams aren't very good. They're playing a really good team tonight, uh, and I think it's going to be one of those crowds. The students are back. Um, and it's going to be an opportunity for Maryland to get a signature resume win. They've got a couple already. Their win over Miami early in the year, Miami's been ranked much of the year, is going to be impressive. Their win over St. Louis actually could be impressive. Um, But other than that, they don't really have a signature win. Uh, They need this one tonight because if – they got to get to 500 with like one of these kinds of wins on their resume. And so tonight, I think the Terps take a major step towards being a tournament team in Kevin Willard's first season by beating Indiana at home and covering tonight the number. Um, I'm not going to go, though. Uh, a lot of pe- a lot of you reached out. Are you going to be there? Are you going to be really? at Bentley's before? Nope, I'm not going. It's a 9 o'clock start. That's... Uh, for me yeah, now, yeah. Uh, the 9 o'clock starts, even though I prefer them from a crowd standpoint because I think the, the crowd will be great. Um, 9 o'clock starts Friday nights, Saturday nights, perfect. Uh, Tuesday nights with the rest of the week um, <laughs> is harder. Um, but, you know, I'll tell you what, if they were playing Purdue tonight, the number one team in the country, I would be there. And they play Purdue on February 16th. Purdue's clearly the best team in the league, maybe the best team in the country. Um, and they'll have a number one in their building, I think, in a few uh, weeks. Uh, so I'll probably be at that game. Uh, but go Terps tonight. I'm hoping that Kevin Willard and, and gang get it done. All right. Uh, anything else that you want to add? Not today, boss. All right. Uh, I'm done as well. I am going to do that Super Bowl 17 recap um, with a lot of highlights. Uh, I'll either do it tomorrow or maybe Tommy and I will do it together on Thursday. Uh, have a good day back tomorrow. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.